The following KOPN podcast is made possible by the generous donations of listeners like you. Please consider a donation to listener-supported community radio, KOPN. You can donate securely on our website at kopn.org. Hi, welcome to Food Sleuth Radio, where we help you think beyond your plate. I'm Melinda Hemmelgarn, a registered dietitian and investigative nutritionist on a mission to connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture, and find food truth. And I am delighted today to welcome our guest, Lisa Kiverest. Lisa and her husband, John Avanco, have written a terrific new book, that is all about farmsteading, and the title of the book is Farmstead Chef, but it's more than recipes. When I got done reading this book, I felt empowered, and I think that's a wonderful place to be. But Lisa is also unique in that she is not only a distinguished food and community fellow, but she's also a leading national advocate for women in sustainable agriculture, and she directs the Rural Women's Project for the Midwest Organic and Sustainable Education Service, also known as MOSES. So she knows all about women's history in agriculture, and she puts it all together in an empowering new book. Lisa, welcome. Hey, thank you, Melinda. And I should say that, Lisa, you and your husband and son Liam live in a Wonderful Inn, the Serendipity Inn, it's a bed and breakfast in Browntown, Wisconsin, and what makes this bed and breakfast unique is that it is completely powered by the sun and wind. Just a little sidebar there. You bet. Yeah, this is terrific. You are really uh, just a wonderful trendsetter. Now, I, I have to tell you, in every book, what I always do is I look at the dedication, because I think it's interesting who people remember from their past who brought them to this point. And so you've dedicated this to your mothers who fed us until we could feed ourselves. You dedicate it to the farmers and food artisans because without you, most of us would be dead indeed. And to anyone who knows great food and eats that way. And finally, to your son, Liam, who nourishes and inspires you every day. I think that's beautiful. Tell me something, what led you to this lifestyle? You had been in the corporate world, you left that to start this bed and breakfast, you live on a farm now, completely, really independent. What led you to this point? That's a great question, Melinda, and it's been very much an ongoing journey and still very much is an ongoing journey for us. But when John and I were in our early 20s and we met after college, we were doing those things on paper that my mom still considers normal. <laughs> we had <laughs> jobs that were in corporate cubicles and they had weekly paychecks and everything was normal on the outside and the track is what we had been expected to do. But we realized for ourselves at an early age that it just wasn't what we valued. It wasn't the destination we wanted. It definitely it wasn't the lifestyle we wanted. We're challenged as to the what's next because, frankly, that's all we knew. And at the time, we were literally weekend escaping across the border from Illinois up to Wisconsin and typical tourist stuff, camping, hiking, etc. But there was something magical about being in the countryside and the rural environment for both of us. And not coming from direct ag roots in our family, it was very much a new experience. But we fell in love with farmland and farmhouses and small town cafes and started thinking early on how can we fundamentally shift our life and lifestyle to be living and working here and going back to the city when we need a good Thai food fix or something. But 
having the base of our livelihood and lifestyle farm-based. Mm-hmm. And there are many people, I think, who also feel the way you did. They feel that way today, trapped because of maybe the benefits that a job brings. That regular paycheck is so comforting. And when you're not working, maybe you've got a vacation and the the paycheck is still coming in. But you left that security with college degrees, I might add. Both of you are are well-educated. And yet you took this jump into the... Uh, sometimes insecure world of self-publishing and living off a farm. You do have people coming to the inn, so you've got this great interaction with people from all over the world, really. But what were some of your challenges in making this switch? Well, it's interesting we talk about security and independence because those equations have, I think, very much changed. They're very much evolving right now in today's current economy, whereas my dad fit that stereotype of somebody who worked for 40 years for the same company and retired. But mm-hmm. those dynamics have changed tremendously. And, and John and I both see a lot of opportunity in those challenges. And that's what we found by moving to the farm and very much the philosophy of the Farmstead Chef book of recreating that self-reliance in modern terms. And it can start in our kitchen of how can we start cooking for ourselves? How can we start steering away from the processed and making things at home. And that extended for us rapidly when we first moved here. And we had no gardening experience whatsoever, but we were really passionate about trying. And, you know, it's amazing. You plant some seeds in the soil and things do start growing, some years better than others, and abundance just starts blooming. So that got us hooked on both the growing and the cooking side and that independence defined in new ways, very much going back to our historic farmstead roots, if you will, of having our little micro world within us and being able to be self-sufficient. And that's really empowering, I think, especially in today's times where, to your point, people feel trapped. They feel like I have to have this job or I have to stay in this job. That doesn't have anything to do with what I value because I need money to do what I want to do. And part of our journey and what we share in our writing is change that equation. Change that equation so what you live and do in your 24-7 is what you're passionate about. And for us and for a lot of people, that stems around food in different ways, be it the growing, the cooking, the sharing, the education, the talking about it like you do, side on the radio, whatever it may be, there's so much opportunity to blend what you're passionate about with your livelihood and really transform things as a result. Mm-hmm. So we probably should talk about the meaning of farmstead, right? And I think that maybe you have coined a new term with farm. <laughs> We've far- been talking about <laughs> farmstead terrian, exactly, <laughs> based on that idea of eating what we call farmstead terrian. And yes. it's interesting because we always try to put labels on people's eating styles. So, you know, we did that ourselves. Are we vegetarian? Are we not? Are we omnivores? Are we whatever? And well we realized we are is farmsteadarians. And that's what's drew the philosophy of the Farmstead Chef Cookbook is we want to be on a first-name basis of where our food source is, be it our farmers where where our food comes from, our beekeepers, our bakekeepers, or, or right from our gardens themselves. So it's that authenticity in food source that's our value. And increasingly, a lot of people want to know where things are from. And it's not that I do eat this or I don't eat that. We're 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 like you, everything in moderation, but know where it comes from and make sure it's 
quality ingredients and that the land has been cared for in creating those ingredients. I love that one of the pictures you have in this book, and, and I should tell our listeners that the book is sprinkled with photographs, but one that I especially like is a picture of your son, Liam, planting seeds. Because I think when those seeds sprout, what a sense of empowerment that child is going to have. And I cannot emphasize the importance of doing this enough with children in particular. This idea that you actually have the power to feed yourself and you don't have to depend on somebody else to do it for you. You must have a very independent little boy. (laughs) He likes to eat well, that's for sure. But, you know, it's interesting. I'm no child psychologist by training or anything like that, but every time I see kids planting seeds, every time we take B&B guests through the garden and kids start nibbling on things, and it's amazing because so often they're scared at first. You know, we get kids who maybe haven't been in a garden before, and can I do that, or do I need to wash that, or whatnot, and and no one knows, start, start eating. It, it's very empowering, and it changes, again, the, the dynamics of everything when we realize we have the power for creating our own lifestyle, and we're not dependent on other things. And that extends to a lot of other areas as well. You mentioned, for example, the renewable energy side, and we run the farm on renewable energy, but that's a big part of other things we don't want to be dependent on, in this case, oil, and how can we create livelihoods that use more renewable energy resources. And there's nothing more renewable from my perspective than the garden itself. It'll, you know, it's, it's sleeping right now and ready for the winter, but it'll, it'll pop right back ever so better next spring. Yeah, I love that you have this energy component. So you've taken care pretty much of your food needs. You've got a lot of what you eat coming from the garden or from, from neighbors who are also farmers. You have your energy taken care of. That there's another piece, though, to leaving the corporate world, and that is health care. Now, you live in every state is different. I, I realize that. And Wisconsin, I think, has a nice program for people who are living outside the norm. But was that one of the issues that you had to deal with yourselves? And is that one of the issues that you that you speak about to women when you do your workshops with women farmers? Oh, I agree with you completely. Healthcare is a incredibly vital and ever-evolving target in today's world. Um, You're right that Wisconsin has some great programs within the state for health care, but again, everything is transparent and changing in today's world. I guess for us, it's been a real redefinition, too, of health in that, ironically, since we've left the corporate world where healthcare policies were cushy and abundant at the time, our health has improved. Why? Because a number of factors. I mean, the the food we're eating is a lot better. We're growing it ourselves. Our lifestyle is much more conducive to health in that we don't have to be somewhere at 8, 9 o'clock in a cubicle. We can get outside. We can exercise. We can move our bodies. We can dabble with different projects and really recreate in our livelihood that diversity of Mother Nature where you have a lot of different things going on and one feeds on each other, but that really adds up to a healthy quality of life. Mm -hmm. I know you do work with the Women Food and Agriculture Network, and I was recently reading one of their newsletters that access to health care was the number one barrier women identified that would prevent them from moving towards this farmsteading lifestyle. I'm sure you've heard many stories from women during your workshops, and I should tell our listeners they're called In Her Boots, 
And you go and meet on different farms and talk to women about their experiences on the farm. And I, I think this is just fascinating work. And I hope you're going to publish something about it. But any ideas on where we should be going? You know, we, we talk about farm policy, but I don't know if we can talk about farm policy without also talking about health policy. Oh, you nailed it. It's a, it's a complicated, multi-layered, dollar-driven equation there that, has been long in the making and desperately in need of solutions. I agree. What's interesting when you look at the growth of women farmers and uh, the In Her Boots workshops you mentioned through the Moses Rural Women's Project are very much based on that collaborative spirit of women working in the food system and that sharing of information and sharing of stories is really, really empowering. And what amazes me is how this new generation of women farmers, when I say new, meaning this 30% increase of women-owned and operated farms according to the last uh, U.S. Ag Census, but not necessarily new and young in the sense of age. While there's a lot of great women in their 20s committed to careers in agriculture coming out of school, the majority of these numbers increasing of women-owned farms is coming from women in their 40s, even women mid-career who are changing considerably what they're doing, going from careers and accounting and lawyering to, to growing and harvesting and, and feeding their community. But it's a real diversity of women who are able to connect those dots creatively. So they're asking the right questions. They're getting these issues on the table. They're not taking no for an answer. And that's empowering and inspiring and I think can fundamentally change our food system um, by by supporting these women. And that's what I try to do a lot in my work with Moses is how can we do that? How can create formats, be it these on-farm workshops or the written portal or, or other venues for us to connect and share our stories and ideas. Mm-hmm. If you're just joining us, we're speaking with Lisa Kivris. She and her husband, John Ivanko, have just written a great new book called The Farmstead Chef. But Lisa is unique in that not only is she a food and community fellow, a true leading national advocate for women in sustainable agriculture, but she also directs the Rural Women's Project for the Midwest Organic and Sustainable Education Service, where she champions women farmers. And you're also a prolific writer, I should add, that Lisa's a contributor to Hobby Farm and Edible Madison. They're Inn, Serendipity Inn, is located in Browntown, Wisconsin, completely powered by the sun and wind. Lisa, we can't help but talk about policy, can we? And I love that uh, early in your book, you talk about the return of the farmstead and this lack of sustainability within our food system. And you say, you know, we're going to need to return to our farmstead, whether we're talking about in the city, a suburb, or the end of a country lane. Our current food system is simply unsustainable when as many as 20 calories of energy or resources goes into every one calorie of food nutrition. When we have farm policies that provide cash entitlements for farmers that reward, in part, monoculture corn crops for animal feed, ethanol, and food, but mostly in the form of high fructose corn syrup, and when 2% of the population feeds the other 98%. We've got to fix something here. So with discussion open now with the 2012 Farm Bill, what would you like to see changed? If I had a total magic wand. <laughs> yes, if you had a total magic wand. Yes, thank you. That's one of my favorite terms. My, my, my total magic wand solution would be we need to change our, our subsidy structure. I mean, it's right now the way our federal agriculture policy in this country is basically subsidizing corn and other commodities that completely shift our food prices 
to the point that we don't even realize it anymore. Do you know that fundamentally shifts our diet and our nutrition? And you know the equation from there, obesity level, our, our nation's health, period. And until we have fundamental change like that, it's going to be a challenge and a real struggle. But as I said, that's my magic wand solution. But there's a lot of practical solutions that people can take every day. And that's what I know you and I are all about is what can we do? Because food is that portal for change for people because, no, I can't change climate change today, but I'm going to eat three times a day. And what choices can I make on my plate, my family's plate, in my kitchen that can start that cycle of change? So I think that's where we see the, the growing good food movement and the interest in local food and community agriculture and all those related things because it is very self-empowering to folks. And if enough of that starts happening, that will trickle up to the bigger federal policy picture, and we will see stronger change. This 30% increase of women farmers is being driven by women starting exactly that, small-scale, sustainable, local-based operations. It's still a small little pocket, but it's vibrantly growing. It's one of the only pockets of farming that is growing. So if we have enough of that, and importantly, we can all collectively support that at our farmers' markets, at our co-ops, wherever we purchase the food we're not raising ourselves, we'll go a long way. What I love about this book is that you describe farmstead cuisine as mostly harvesting, washing, chopping, cooking in a pan or oven. It's not brain surgery. And I think that so often we think that cooking is difficult, especially when we're not familiar with it. And what I love about the book is not only do you provide this empowering message of how every bite can make a difference for the planet and our children's future, but you also give really practical tips and you explain things like, choosing the right oil and explaining how most of the canola oil is genetically modified and why you want to look for the organic label. And you also have a website that also provides people with some tips on how they can get you know, more information about just how to, the how to component of eating well. And it's not difficult. It's not brain surgery. Tell me a little bit about your favorite recipes in this book. How how did the recipes get in here? What made them your favorites? Oh, sure. We've had fun on that note. The core of the recipes in Farmstead Chef have been our staple Farmstead Kitchen favorites from the bed and breakfast over the years. So both the, the breakfast side of breakfast entrees, but desserts and breads and anything in between. But some of my favorite recipes are the simplest. And to what you were just saying, when you focus on the ingredients – it doesn't need to be complicated. Things don't need necessarily complex sauces or layers or time intensive. It's the quality of what it is. So we have, for example, beans from the garden, the fresh beans we eat all summer long, just a little balsamic vinegar and salt do amazing things to enhance the flavors on that. And, and creatively using those bounties from the garden year-round. So a lot of the recipes, too, focus on how we can eat year-round during the winter. So right now I'm, I'm in abundant root crops here in the fall and winter. So I use a lot of pureed squashes, for example, in baking and the, the muffin sides of the breakfast breads. And pairing that garden bounty with some interesting other flavors. So, for example, this morning I made the uh, pumpkin peanut butter bread, which is a oh, sweet breakfast bread. Kind of like a muffin, but we cook it in a loaf. And pumpkin and peanut butter together. Who knew? But it's those interesting, unexpected, shall I say serendipitous pairings of flavors that 
keep keep things lively and keep things interesting. I think sometimes we get caught up in food as it's a chore. It's something that takes a lot of time and all these resources, and we forget that fun factor. And that's very much philosophy in our farmstead kitchen, that if it's not fun and we don't like to eat it, don't do it. (laughs) And you also provide tips so that when the person is done cooking, they have a sense of success. For example, with regard to your pumpkin peanut butter loaf bread, you remind everyone that they must oil or butter and flour the pan first so the loaves come out. So we learn from your mistakes all throughout the book. Oh, please do, yes. (laughs) Well, I was particularly tempted by the winter squash rolls, I might add. Another thing I really like about this book, Lisa, is you describe a way that we can eat well economically. And one of the basic strategies for that, of course, is learning how to preserve or put food by during the summer and fall season so that we can eat throughout the winter. And you talk about how you're not canning as much because, hey, let's face it, it heats up an already hot kitchen, but you are using your freezer quite a bit. And you mentioned here that you eat through your freezer in the winter and early spring, practically eliminating the need to buy anything at the grocery store. And you also talk about root cellaring or, you know, what are those ideal temperatures to keep potatoes, say, throughout the winter so they won't sprout. And these are skills that we have lost. And what amazes me is that you didn't grow up on a farm doing these kinds of things. You learned as a relatively young woman how to you know, restore or regain some of those life-preserving skills. Yeah, our story is if we can learn to do it, anybody can. <laughs> <laughs> because it's there, and it's amazing how much knowledge is still there. In our farming community, we have a high senior population, and it's wonderful learning from our neighbors of how did they used to do things. You know, How were they canning? How were they preserving? How were they putting by? But But to your point about us eating through our freezer annually. That's a big part of our story in the Farmstead Chef Cookbook as well is using the abundance. I've learned the hard way. Frozen zucchini is, it's not red wine. You know, it doesn't improve year to year. <laughs> and and that using it up is a skill that we've lost and are, are trying to rekindle in our own kitchens because it's an important one. I think something we've lost in our last generation of eating is that organization element. You know, we know we're going to be hungry several times a day, and how can we keep planning and prepping ahead? And I do a lot of that personally, probably motivated by the bed and breakfast of needing to cook breakfast early in the morning, but I'll, you know, chop a lot of vegetables ahead of time in the evening. I'll make the muffin batter in the evening so it's ready to go that day. And that shifting of mindset, so you're always thinking a little bit ahead and breaking down the cooking necessities goes a long way in enjoying the process more. You know, if you come home at 6 o'clock and you're starving, no, you don't want to take time to cook. But if everything was ready to go or you cooked that big batch of zucchini bisques the night before and you just heat it up, that goes a long way in enjoying that process. Speaking of zucchini bisque, you mentioned that soup is love in liquid form, and I love that. And I love the community component of this book because you speak early on about the importance of relationships around food, and that's something else that I think we've lost. And the fact that you've built this wonderful sense of community is something that I think would be a very low-cost way to reduce crime and improve test scores, let alone mental and physical health, all around community-based food systems. 
And I love that you help encourage people to move in that direction. And I also want to tell our listeners that uh, you've got a great statistic here about bottled water. And I have a thing about bottled water, too. But you had the brilliant idea to look at the label Evian bottled water, and you say it's spelled backwards. It's naive. <laughs> I had no idea. And then you do the math, and you say, you know, actually that bottled water is $8.25 a gallon. Thank you so much for that. All right, let's get back to the community sense, because I want to give you an opportunity to talk about what you've experienced in having that renewed sense of community through food. Sure. One thing we have in the Farmstead Chef Cookbook are these kitchen table talks, which are interviews and conversational snippets with various farmers and food activist friends of ours around the country and what they do in their areas to stir up change through food. And one of our local friends, the Caruth family, right here in our farm area, we have them profiled in the cookbook. And what they do wonderfully is what they call simply soup nights. And they started these a couple years ago where Whenever they feel like it, they basically will send an email out and say it's soup night on Saturday. They'll make a couple pots of soup, and anybody and everybody's welcome to come. You could bring a dish to pass if you want to. If you don't, no problem because they're soup. So, and it's been a, they shared one of their sausage lentil soup recipes in the Farmstead Chef book too. But it's that idea of opening your doors through food that they so warmly and wonderfully do, and it's so simple. You know, it's nothing taking a lot of cost, taking a lot of time, and they always have a vibrant group of people. And I, I loved your comment about you know, doing things like that with lower crime rates. I'm sure it does. It does, I wish yeah. somebody was tracking that because if we know each other better, and especially if we got to know each other over sharing a meal, that's what it's all about. Absolutely. And I, I love the way you talk about celebrating our interdependency rather than trying to live isolated, independent lives. We recognize, yeah, that there's something magical about coming together. And you've got photographs of the serendipity in stage where you've got music playing. You've got quotes sprinkled throughout. And I love the one from Vandana Shiva where she writes, we are the food we eat, the water we drink, and the air we breathe. And reclaiming democratic control over our food and water and our ecological survival is the necessary project for our freedom. Such an important message, Lisa. I knew our time would fly, and there are tons of wonderful recipes in here, from pumpkin mousse cheesecake to these incredible beer and cheese soups that have won awards at the Wisconsin Fair. Do you want to leave us with a with one last message? Sure. Um, you know, I... Very much so that it is an evolving journey, and we've been talking about that as a theme, but that's what's wonderful about eating farmstetarian is there always is more things to explore, new people growing things, and new ways to cook up those combos in your kitchen. So it's it's a journey of exploration, one that we're thrilled to be able to share some slices from through the Farmstead Chef Cookbook, but it's always evolving, and that's what keeps it fun and tasty. Your book is fun, it's empowering, it's tasty, and it is a perfect book to recommend to anyone who wants to curl up and feel cozy and empowered, regardless of the season. 
We have been speaking with Lisa Kiverest. She and her husband, John Avanko, have written a wonderful book called Farmstead Chef. And you can go online, www.farmsteadchef.com, and learn more about the authors, the book, and the wonderful recipes and tips. Lisa, I want to thank you very much for being my guest today. And I want to thank you for your work with the Rural Women's Project, empowering women and empowering families to be healthier. I think that's just what our country needs. Oh, thank you, Melinda. I want to sum up by reminding our listeners that Food Sleuth Radio is produced by Dan Hemmelgarn at KOPN Studios in beautiful downtown Columbia, Missouri. I want to thank Lisa Kiverest and her husband, John, for Farmstead Chef and all of the terrific work that they've been doing. Thank you again. <music>